This is an AMI podcast. I would like to acknowledge that this podcast was produced and hosted on the unceded ancestral and traditional lands of the Squamish, the Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh peoples. I feel honored to live, to work, and to play on these lands. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Accessing Art with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Amanti. My pronouns are she, hers. You know, we often hear of b-boys in the world of breakdance, but today we're going to speak with Robin Gell, who identifies as a b-girl. At 17 years old, they also happen to be my youngest guest ever, and they're going to share with us a bit about how they started their journey in breakdance and some of the access features that have helped support them along the way to becoming the blind b-girl that they are today. Please give a warm welcome to Robin. Hi, I'm Robin. I'm 17. I use she, they pronouns, and I identify as female, and I'm a b-girl. Welcome, Robin. Really, really excited to have you join us all the way from the UK. Um, you, you mentioned in your introduction that you're a B-girl, and I don't know what a B-girl is, so maybe you can tell me all about that. Yeah, so a uh, B-girl is anyone that identifies as female that is a breakdancer. Breakdancing. So, you know, if you were to categorize breakdancing, Robin, some people in their minds can say, oh, yes, I have an idea of what ballet is, or I have an idea of what tap is. What is breakdancing? What does that look like? I'd say it's like contemporary kind of thing. Okay. So there's quite a lot that's on the floor. So a lot of it's upside down and all over the place. <laughs> and it's quite free in what you can do. I've heard a lot of folks talk about headstands and helicopters um, or L-kicks. So, Robin, tell me how it is you got involved in breakdance. So it was a complete accident, really. I was trying to find uh, work experience when I was about 15 at the time. I went to a Society for the Blind to see if they had any work experience I could take part in. And they said uh, that I'd have to get in contact first. And the guy who took me to look for the work experience, he was teaching a breakdance class for um, partially sighted or blind people. And he was like, do you want to come to that? Considering we haven't really managed to achieve anything today. So I was like, I might as well. Up until this point, uh, I'd been absolutely adamant that I'd never do any kind of dance. I'd never seen my thing, really. So because we hadn't really done anything that day, I just thought I'll give it a go. And ever since that night, nothing stopped me. <laughs> Did you feel, because um, the idea of breakdance terrifies me. Um, <laughs> did, you, did you feel um, at all like oh gosh, what am I getting myself into? Especially because, you know, you just shared with us that you were, you know, your purpose was to check out job possibilities through a a service that uh, helps folks who are blind and partially sighted. So with your level of sight loss, did you feel like that was going to be a barrier to you to to explore this art form? Um, Well, like I say, I never really intended to in the first place. And that just kind of happened on the spur of the moment kind of thing. And so I didn't really have much time to think about whether I was nervous or anything. I just was like, jump into it at deep end. (laughs) Awesome. I kind of like that philosophy. Uh, If I was 17 again, I think I would do more jumping (laughs) into the deep end too. But as I'm a little older than that, Robin, I I tend to um, be very picky and choosy about the things that I do. So tell me, um, tell me what it was like your first experience with breakdancing and then I I don't know were there any barriers that you experienced being a person with total blindness in that world like how do you learn the moves it's 
It's taught instead of someone showing the move, it's more like the move's being explained in detail. It's kind of like live audio description, and then you do as the audio says kind of thing. So like the teacher obviously will explain it, and then um, the teacher that teaches me, then he uses beatbox and sound effects to explain the movements to show the like angle and trajectory and things. Yeah, talk a bit more about how how the combination of sound effects works in translating these moves to you. If I was to say one of the moves, you just spin on your knee, but like mm-hmm. that obviously doesn't give you any idea of how fast or anything like that. But if I say you spin on your knee and it's like <laughs> kind of noise, so it's like sounds like helicopter propellers, then um, it gives you an idea of the speed and what have you. So is there a whole sort of category of different sound effects, I guess, and you know what each one of those translates to when you hear them? Yes and no at the same time. So it's like, it's not this sound means this kind of thing. It's more how you interpret it. Mm -hmm. But most of them are kind of the stereotypical kind of sounds for that movement. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I totally think I know what you mean. Um, Because the analogy that you just gave about the swiftness of helicopter blades gives a real idea of um, how quick that movement might be, whatever the movement is, right? Yeah. You had had mentioned earlier that you like to be referred to as a B-girl. And I wonder if you can unpack that for us, because I think most people are familiar with this term B-boy, but maybe not so much with B-girl. And I wonder if you would share with us why that resonates with you so much. So um, B-boys, as the word kind of gives it away a bit, is uh, males that are breakdancers. Uh, and then obviously B-girls are females. And it means so much to me, as I've already mentioned, I'm actually trans-female. So just having that label, making it more obvious to everyone around me of my identity so they know who I am, it just means a lot. Yeah. I'm curious about this because, I, again, I, I think sometimes, I mean, as an artist myself, sometimes we find places in the art world that are really soothing to our souls when we're doing our, you know, practicing our art form. And sometimes we find that there's hesitance there to be welcomed into a space. And I wonder what your experience was. Now, you've you've shared with us today your your identity as, as being trans female and as living with blindness. Did you feel like you were welcomed into that space? Uh, yeah, generally, because um, the group that I, the company that the teacher that teaches me is from they're all um they're all the we're all, all of us are really diverse in some way be mm-hmm. it gender sexuality race anything like that and their biggest priority is uh accessibility for all so i feel included in every way really so you being a part of this this dance company that's teaching you break dancing and and you're so new to the art form what does it feel like to be in that moment doing your art and then do you get chances to obviously we were coming just out of the pandemic but chances to share it on stages with folks um it's being shown to people quite a bit but in different ways okay so like last july then uh although it was in the middle of the pandemic then um as I was previously saying, the dance company are all diverse, and mainly quite a lot of them are of Black heritage. So they were doing an artistic, peaceful protest for Black Lives Matter movement. And um, as part of that, then uh, they invited me to um, do a bit of a showcase of what I can do there. And that was just like in the middle of a town centre. So, yeah. And what, 
what was that experience like for you, Robin? I'm so interested because again, you know, we're kind of told that we have to keep our distance from folks, but here you are performing, doing what you love. Share with us what that feels like. I was uh, quite nervous at the beginning of that one because um, I was meant to have rehearsed a routine to perform. And because of the pandemic, I hadn't really had the space I needed to uh, practice. Uh-huh. So I went saying that I'd rehearsed, even though I hadn't, and then just freestyled <laughs> it and then and then revealed that secret afterwards. And they were like, you couldn't tell. I was like, that's because I'm a good artist. <laughs> so you improved the whole sh- the whole piece. Yep. <laughs> okay, so I'm a I'm a little bit like awestruck by that because already that's very difficult to do. I can't imagine the nerves of that. Um, how how did you do that spontaneously, Robin? Like, invite me into your process a little bit about how you just I don't know figure out how to put A plus B plus C together to make a you know to make a piece. How does that work? It was kind of I really don't know. It just kind of went better than I expected myself. I mean, I was very conscious of what I was doing because, uh, as I was saying, the way I was doing it was literally just in the middle of the town square, just on concrete, on uh, cobblestone. So I was like, some moves are really going to hurt on here. <laughs> so I was more that was more my thoughts at the time. So I'm like, <laughs> I'll just do anything. I don't really mind how much it hurts in a way because I was like, at the end of the day, I won't feel that pain if I've got success to go with it. Oh, that's such an interesting philosophy. I was like, if you can ignore that pain, I'll do well. And how do you how do you measure that kind of success? How do you know that it's gone well? I suppose through the like reaction of the audience. Like they were all clapping along as I was going. It was just the more and more that the crowds were getting like into it, the more and more it fueled me to just just carry on kind of thing. I know that because you are 17, you're entering into um, college and university times, and that's really exciting stuff. And I wonder about what it is that, I guess, how it is that you plan to keep up the B-girl dancing on top of doing all the school studies. Have you made a plan for that yet? <laughs> it's quite interesting, really. So before I started um, college, then I was quite local to my uh, breakdance teacher. So it was able to see me like once a week or something. But I now go to college about, it's a residential college and it's about two hours away from home. So um, it teaches me over video call on like WhatsApp and things. So that's always um, an experience to look forward to. <laughs> Trying to position camera and things. And... I, could, I could just like, because dorm rooms are really small, right? In these little residences. And oftentimes you're sharing and I can just be like, I can see you. Okay, roommate, you can't be here during this time. And I got to move the, yeah. the desk over here and whatever to make space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mainly I've managed to, um, I've managed to organize with some of the sports teachers that uh, to use some of the sports hall space. So I've been quite lucky there to have three hours a week in there. But then any time on top, I just have to use a common room in uh, in residence. Ah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I, I that it really so- soothes my soul to hear this, Robin, because I think a lot of times and you get like caught up in the daily stuff and it's like, oh, I don't have time for my art today. But it's really important, I think, for artists to continue to build their artistic practice. And I wonder now if you've got ideas about what you want to do in the future with breakdancing. I mean, do you, do you see some kind of plan for you in this art form moving into your future? I mean, like 
I might not have it as like a main career or what have you, but I'll probably do it on the side, doing like different performances and on tour shows and things. I just kind of get involved with any opportunity that comes along. If an opportunity comes, it's mine. <laughs> ah, I love that. Seizing the day. Are there other um, things that you would say to young people who are living with blindness, for example, you know, that maybe sitting on the fence, maybe having some fear about whether they try something, you know, what would you say to that? What would you say to that person who was you at 15? So in a way, so like like I said, I make it sound like I'm all about wanting to get all this fame and what have you. But in a way, <laughs> I'm not too bothered about people knowing about me specifically. I more just want the blind community to know that it is possible to do these art forms without sight. Yeah. And that's more what I want. And if someone was if someone was unsure about how they could get into it, then like I just tell them it sounds as hard as it is, but just ignore that fear and just jump into it. And if if they do like it, they like it, and that's great. If they don't, it's not the end of the world. At the end of the day, then they can say they've tried it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good philosophy to be able to encourage anybody, really, I suppose. Yeah, I would love to give the, the genre a, a try myself. And now I'm wondering, <clears throat> for this old lady, <clears throat> what kind of advice would you give me, Robin? Like, where, where can I just start in my living room with practicing some of these moves? Are there, like, easy entry moves that I can practice? I mean, there's all different levels of moves. I mean, um, I started really, really, really basic. Looking back now, I was like, how how did I struggle to do that? Why did that take me a month to do? Now I'm like struggling on the, the harder level stuff. And I'm like, this is why it gets harder as it gets harder. <laughs> so how long have you been doing this now? Has this been about? I'm trying to do the math quickly in my head, but you can tell me quite quicker. Yeah, it's about two years now. Absolutely fantastic. It's given you a project to work on. And I, I wonder what are the fringe benefits of learning to to be a B-girl? You know, do you find that it builds your confidence or definitely what are what are kind of the benefits that you've gotten? When I first started, the class that my teacher invited me along to, that was um as part of a eight week course injury prevention and spatial awareness. So they were using breakdance as a form of like to get people more aware of what space is around them and how to utilize that space. And like, obviously, quite a lot of blind people have falls and things. So doing the breakdance, obviously, it gives you different options of safe ways of getting to the floor. I'm not entirely certain that like, if you was about to fall, you just think, oh, let's do a bit of breakdance on the way down. But that's the idea. <laughs> Oh, that's a really, it's a really interesting way of being able to use one medium to support another medium, yeah. which I think is really interesting. Um, and I wonder if you want to share a little bit about who your instructor is and who this, um, this dance company is, because I think we could give a shout out. Yeah, so my um, teacher is, his name is Nathan Gearing, and he is the artistic director of Rationale Arts, which is a dance company based in the UK. Yeah, and they make dance accessible to all, really. They uh, have audio describers, um, sign language interpreters, and they'll welcome anybody, really, that wants to try out dance. And it's not just breakdance they do as well. They do, like, contemporary, uh, salsa. They do a few different dance styles. Have you ever thought about trying a different dance style? Not really. I personally probably would struggle with trying not to com like combine the two. I mean, it'd probably end up with quite a cool mixture, but 
I, you know, this is how this is how dance mediums and music mediums have been, you know, created over generations. Kind of this this fusion of a couple of different styles. So you could really be a trailblazer in this area, I think. Dot dot dot. Not that your studies aren't important, Robin. So I will leave you with that. Um, I guess you know I just would like to circle back quickly to the whole conversation of diversity because I wonder about you know you just told us that um, rational arts makes a lot of space for inclusivity in dance, but also as a patron who would just be, you know, um, listening or watching the dance that they provide access services. And I guess I wonder for you, why you think it's so important that, um, that dance be made inclusive? Well, I think that it should be made inclusive because at the moment, then people with disabilities just automatically think I have a disability, so I can't do that. And potentially some people, if they think they can't do it, then like, if there was a show on or something, then why would you want to go and watch it? Because particularly for blind people, then if you can't see it, then dance seems a very visual thing. Yeah. But yeah. like the way that Rationale do it with the audio description, with the sound effects and things, it just includes the audience as well. And as a performer with no sight, to make the actual space that you perform in access, like accessible as well. It's like, for example, I did a show a couple of months ago and when we were rehearsing on the stage, then they'd use um, like tape with string underneath it to uh, show where they do like a big cross in the middle of the stage so I can gauge the different areas and things. Oh, I see. So you can feel the the string underneath the tape. So it's like a tactile marker on the stage. Okay. So it helps just as much the audience as it does for the performer. And what about the sound effects? Did that help you in the moment too? Um, you know, if, if it's the, to the benefit, uh, supposed to be, I guess, to the benefit of the audience member. But do you find that in the moment of performing, you can use those sound effects as well to orient yourself in a space? Yeah, definitely. So in this last show, then um, it was the first time I've been on like a big stage. It was uh, it was a really big stage, to be fair. And um, the music was like, surround sounds kind of thing so i was obviously for me when i'm practicing i use like a small speaker for the music and i'll just use that as a reference point for direction but with the surround sound it's obviously hard to gauge that so i kind of got slightly lost on the stage in one part of the show but the way we did it was we already had the plan in place that if that was to happen i'd do a certain move and then when i did that then the person that was audio describing would say stuff like Robin moves to her left, so then I'd move to my left. So obviously, only the um, it, it doesn't look as if that weren't supposed to happen. Yeah, you just kind of like improv that. So that was a way of you being able to communicate in real time to the describer that you kind of have lost your mark, and you need them to kind of orient you Help back me. to where you need yeah. to be. Oh, that is absolutely fascinating. I love that. How did that feel for you as a performer? Did that just make you feel safer in the space? or Definitely. Because the stage I was on, then um, it was a stage with like, um, there was obviously the front where you could drop off and both sides as well. So it was like, I don't want to fall off this stage. <laughs> I really needed that. So I wanted to actually be able to concentrate on what I was doing. It It is a fear of mine too, being a an actor on a stage is where is the end of that stage yeah and how do i keep myself away from it but i <laughs> i don't get the i don't get the benefit of having the audio describer that is live describing without the audience member having an earpiece so it sounds like these audio describers are doing it for everybody's benefit 
open description, right? So everybody in the audience is hearing the same thing at the same time. So therefore, you can really utilize that as a tool in your art form. Yeah, because like, I mean, even for uh, sighted audiences, that audio just gives so much more, because it's not just simple, simple audio description that rationale do. Like, they don't just say what exactly what's happening. They might say the emotion that's being conveyed in things. And like some audience members might not recognize that if it was being portrayed artistically. So obviously it gives more insight to the sighted audiences as well. You know, it's funny. In the blind community, we often say good audio description when it's done well is it benefits everybody. Um, So it sounds like this is just another prime example of that happening. And I've experienced some of the work that Nathan Gearing has done with the rationale method. And it's a fantastic way of changing the game a little bit when it comes to audio description. So I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, that that you all are working together because I I yeah see now Robin I gotta make myself a trip out to the UK so that I can you know learn to be a B girl too under your guidance. <laughs> Robin, I hear a sound in the background and that tells me it's time to play the mixed bag. What do you think? You up for a game? Sure, let's go. All right, to remind folks and I suppose to remind you because you've never played before. This is three questions, 25 seconds on the clock, rapid fire answers. So I'm going to just throw the first question in your direction. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Here's your first question, Robin. What is your least favorite household chore? Um, washing up. Washing up. Like washing dishes? dishes? Yeah. Do, do you actually have a favorite? Some people do. Do you have a favorite? I'm polishing. <laughs> polishing? Do people even polish stuff anymore? Yes, I do. <laughs> I think I think as a blind person, I hate dusting. So I try and like <laughs> not have things that I can dust, but it's not I'm not very successful at it. So we'll just leave that at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, your second question, Robin, is what is your favorite book of all time? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Have you got a specific one in the series or is it just like the whole series? The whole series. <laughs> okay. I guess this is this is not one of your questions, but I'm going to just say, if you were stuck on a desert island and you only had one of the Harry Potter books to take with you forever and ever, which one would you take? Probably the fifth book, Order of the Phoenix. Um, have you seen the movies too? Yeah. Yeah? All right. Well, you're just a, you're a, Harry, a Harry Potter fan. I guess I should ask you which house you'd be a part of. I'm Slytherin apparently, which I'm not pleased about. <laughs> I retook the quiz about five times with different answers deliberately to try and get a different house. And every single time, it's all been Slytherin. <laughs> You're, they got your number, Robin. You're always a Slytherin. You can't get out of that one. <laughs> all right. Here, here's your last question. And it, I hope it's a super easy question. But what is the one vegetable that you could eat every day of your life? No problem. I love this vegetable. Cucumber. Me too. If that counts. It it totally counts. Although some people will say it's got seeds, so it's a fruit. But I'm going to say it absolutely counts. Um, And that's it, Robin. That's how you play the mixed bag. So thanks for indulging me. Before I let you go today, I just would love for you to share with us where we can find you on the internet. Yeah, so I um, post all of my performances and videos and photos and everything on my... uh, Instagram account, which is at robingirl42621212. That's R O B Y N G E L 42621212. And before we say goodbye, here's the quote of the day by Roseanne Cash The key to change is to let go of fear. Thanks for listening to Accessing Art with Amy. This podcast is produced by me, Amy Amanti. 
Technical production by Sam Robinson. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. If you'd like to reach out to the show with any feedback, you can do so by email at feedback at ami.ca or by telephone at 1-866-509-4545. Thanks again to my guest today, Robin Gell. Keep exploring. See you next time. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.